You're listening to highlights from an episode of The Creative Process. To listen to the full interview or learn more about The Creative Process projects, please visit www.creativeprocess.info. I remember, um, I remember being in the Musée d'Orsay and seeing this Renoir painting that was um, an Algerian landscape. And I just, you know, I, I heard something and I, I, it wouldn't stop. And we are on a bus to, uh, to Chartres afterwards. And I wrote out this whole movement for piano concerto on the bus. But something changed. Something changed the moment there were lessons. Suddenly there was, it was no longer about exploration. It was about right and wrong, doing it right to please the teacher. You know, um, somehow my center, my center was taken away. The music was no longer in my center. And it took a long time to find my way back to a place where, where music was mine again. Oh. I think that, that was part of, the, part of the journey, transitioning from being a classical pianist to being a composer. It was somehow, let, let's make it mine again. So, yeah, so it's strange. It, and it's not about control exactly, but oh, you feel like when you're performing to, to please others. It was interesting, you were discussing that before. Yeah, I mean, what's what's your motivation for playing? Sure, I mean, do you want the applause? Do you want your parents' approval? Do you want the teacher to say you did it right? Do you want to, you know, impress the other kids in your music class? You know, or your the friends at school? Or are you doing it because you love music and you there's something you want to say and there's something you need to say and there's something that's very vital and urgent in the music itself that has nothing to do with the. Um, social terrain that exists around it. I wonder what it would be like to live as a musician who is so sensitive to sound. You know, you, you've lived in Manhattan and now you live on Shelter Island and how would these different places you've lived or visited, how, how does that, how do you experience those? Um, you know, are there some like hostile tonal um, audio environments that I would be insensitive to but you just oh I can't go there this just drives me crazy sure sure of course Uh, it's hard to be in a bright room in Uh, a a sonically bright room yeah Um, there there are restaurants I can't go to Mm. and and there's an art gallery in town here that shows nice work I just can't go there you know um, living in the city I, I was I was troubled a lot by the noises we lived on the corner of Broadway and Bleecker Street and ambulances would go by a lot and fire trucks and all the sirens and then there'd be you know the people who wake you up the philosophers who yell in the middle of the night oh philosophers yeah. that's what you call them <laughs> um, midnight philosophers yeah so your children are, are both artists and you've yes. collaborated with uh, Juliet uh, Garrett. I've, I've uh, collaborated with both of them. Yes. Oh, with both. I didn't know. Yeah. And and naturally, I'm just wondering what kind of advice or things that you you want to make sure that they knew, you know, starting off as, as artists. Well, don't listen to idiots. Mm-hmm. Is the first thing because a lot of people are going to tell you you can't do what it is you want to do. And every everybody has an opinion. Some opinions are worth more than others, you know. So you figure out who's, whose opinion you trust, who's a good person, 
Who's a safe person to show your work to at first? Because we're vulnerable. In, in college, the rage, the vogue was serial composition, 12-tone music. You have to do a lot of pre-compositional thought before you can begin to put notes, to begin to choose your notes and, and write. It was a technique that I learned and that I worked in at the beginning, but it, it didn't feel um, as expressive to me as, as you know the kind of work I later came to. I went from there to, to jazz composition, you know, writing a jazz tune that had you know melody and chord changes and improvising from that and began orchestrating those things you know, for different kinds of ensembles. And then I kind of dismissed all that work, like sort of said, okay, that was, I was playing around and I didn't really know what I was doing. And I found a teacher who, um, who really helped me, Lawrence Widows, who taught at Juilliard, was a, a composer, a, a theory, of, like they didn't call it theory at Juilliard, they call it literature and materials, L&M. Oh, yeah. And Larry was a student of Vincent Persichetti, and he kept saying to me, well, what do you hear? What, what is it you're hearing? Okay, how does that go? And we spent a lot of time with that idea, just what are you hearing, without judgment. And so I would write what I heard, and then he started asking me after about a year, he said, okay, where's it going? Where are we going? So we began to have trajectory and arrival points, and he helped me a lot. He worked with me a lot on orchestration, too, which came in very handy, you know, for this cello concerto, because I wasn't sure I knew how to do it, and then as I was sitting writing, I, I heard Larry saying, what are you hearing? Okay, I can do that, you know, and, and I realized I, I actually knew how to do it. You know, you are a musician and a composer, but I, I guess there are some composers now who really don't know their instruments, or how do you, what do you feel about that? Yeah, there are a lot of composers today who, um, who have no traditional schooling yeah. in music. I have, a, I have a good friend who has a significant career. I'm not sure he knows the difference between a major chord and a minor chord. He might. He might. But he has something, he has a way of expressing himself. He's carved out a language for himself. And, um, and it's effective, and he works in film and makes a lot of money. And I should probably take lessons from him. <laughs> it seems to me uh, so much of education is like goals-based, test-based, and, and that kind of openness, except there are, there are notable exceptions in schools, uh, it's it's not something that we're teaching our young artists, our young people. Well, okay, so can you teach creativity? Yes. And how? Um, I think the first thing you do is create the space for it. Like I so said, you need to have time. Like here, we're, that, This is what we're doing now, right? And, and then I, it needs to be safe for the person trying it. You know, you give them permission, okay. We're just going to make a mess. We're going to try anything. You know, there's no right and wrong. Let's just try something, see how it feels. And, you know, the whole concept of art becomes a little heady and pressurized. But I think if it's just, you know, making sound, let's, let's make some sound, you know. Let's make some music without, without it being, you know, music in capital letters. Yes. You know, um, so I, I've experimented with kids doing this and, and asking, you know, um, how, let's see, pick a word 
pick a word you know, from these little scraps of paper that I tear up. I write you know, 50 or 60 words. Yeah. Someone will pull something out and they'll try it. And then it's okay, let's pick two. So you say you'll have cold and exciting. So already it, it's, there's, a, there's a, a unique psychological, like psychic place mm-hmm. where that exists, that combination. And, and I, that's your creative orchestra project. Where you should speak more about that in detail. Oh, sure. It started yeah. at um, there was no music program at the school where my kids went, yeah. and so I went in and wanted to teach the kids about process. I held up a painting, Starry Night, which was the first experience I had of hearing music in response to painting. And I said, "Does anybody hear music in their head when they look at this painting?" And they looked around, they looked at me like I was weird. And then one little girl raised her hand, and they're like, God. And suddenly she's I do. And suddenly all the other kids, I do, I do. And they got competitive <laughs> with each other. You know, well, what are yeah. you hearing? How do you make that sound? Can we go get some instruments? Can we get some, how do you make, you know, there weren't even always traditional instruments. Sometimes it's, you know, if you're scratching a, a twig on a garbage pail lid, that's the sound the person wants. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the sound is. And there were, of course, there were traditional instruments too. And so we started making our own form of scores and performing, and the kids were playing and conducting each other's stuff mm-hmm. and uh, gave performances for a number of years. So it was a workshop I would do for uh, three weeks a year. Want to get involved with exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info. Thank you for listening.